I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And if you're one of our patrons, hello, this is your extended ad-free version of this week's show. Last week, we had no show because we had no Ian. Apparently, he was preoccupied decluttering his basement collection of Victorian clown costumes, according to a text of his. But I am pleased to have you back, mate. Oh, and I'm pleased to be back. Now yeah. the uh, clowns are well and truly organised. Exactly, yes. And did you find that, uh, that old red nose? Um, yes. Excellent. Good, good. Nice shoes, mate. Uh, and thank you, of course, to our newest and upgraded patrons, uh, Tom Young, Liam Daly. You are keeping Ian in supply of uh, the little sticky name plates that he relies on for organising his collection of vintage of, of clowns. Cl- clown costumes. Clown costumes, isn't it? Not actual clowns. That would be ridiculous. The government's porn age verification scheme is to be delayed, but this time the reason of the for the porn block is even more embarrassing for the government, in my opinion. And we've talked about it on the show before, but essentially the government had wanted mainstream pornography websites to verify the ages of visitors before allowing them to view explicit content. While giving a statement in the House of Commons Digital Minister Jeremy Wright said the government failed to notify the European Commission of age verification standards that it expected companies to meet, which it needed to have done in order to be in line with EU law. Uh, Having not done so means the government legally cannot introduce the policy at this stage. It is a clerical error, Ian. Right. It is an administrative... Oversight. Cock-up. Oversight. And I thought it might be fun, rather than me uh, just reading out what an MP said. Uh, an MP said, I thought, why not actually just listen to uh, what he said? So um, let's let's listen in, shall we? And this uh, was from the House of Commons uh, a little earlier today. Please. It has come to my attention in recent days that an important notification process was not undertaken for an element of this policy, and I regret to say that this will delay the commencement date. Upon learning of this administrative oversight, I've instructed my department to notify this guidance to the EU and relay the guidance in Parliament as soon as possible. However, I expect that this will result in a delay in the region of six months. In the meantime, Mr Speaker, there is nothing to stop responsible providers of online pornography implementing age verification mechanisms on a voluntary basis, and I hope and expect that many will do so. I hope and expect, will they bollocks? <laughs> but uh, do, uh, do continue, Mr Wright. I recognise that many members of this House and many people beyond it have campaigned passionately for age verification to come into force as soon as possible. But there are also those who do not want these measures to be brought in at all. So let me make it clear that although my statement is an apology for delay, it is not a change of policy... Yeah or a lessening of this government's determination 
I did condense that uh, down to the, the length that you heard because uh, it is a politician talking, which means why say in 30 seconds what you can say over six minutes. Yeah. Um, however, I did um, I did listen to the entire uh, the entire thing. Jeremy Wright, when he was explaining this in Parliament, said that he discovered it on Friday. So almost a week before it was announced. Um, and the rest of the time between then and now apparently was spent seeing if there was an alternative way forward, which there wasn't. Now, the... The really weird thing about this, of course, Ian, is that it's been delayed before. So yes. how in the process of being announced, delayed a year, up to this point, uh, did the EU not ask for whatever? <laughs> well, it's not the EU's job to ask for things, is it? No, it's the government's job to know that they need to notify them of certain things. Yes. <clears throat> I mean, we could argue about whether it's ridiculous they need to tell the EU at all. And it is just sheer incompetence, isn't it? Yes, it is. Apparently so. Um, so the block would have been, uh, you know, more than just inputting your date of birth, as is the case for, say, video games websites. Instead, sites, they would have to verify identity with some with something like a passport scan. Uh, that may have cut down the number of children using those large sites, but it would do nothing to stop those kids stumbling across explicit content or obviously seeking it out on purpose on sites like Tumblr and social networks and via messaging apps and what have you, or simply just by going to smaller websites that don't have to follow the rules or, or just don't follow the rules. So on that front, the system wouldn't really have worked as intended anyway, but not only that, the age verification process would have created potential problems for adults. Would their sexual interests be tracked? Would there be a risk of blackmail, Ian? Are there are the arbiters of verification themselves trustworthy and secure? And more simply, would it stop adults choosing to access something that's perfectly legal out of fear of having to reveal to anyone who they are and what they wanted to watch? Well, probably yes to all of those questions. But we have repeatedly expressed what a pointless waste of time this block is. Age verification online is very hard to get right. And there are so many ways around it. It, it is These laws are pointless. Well, the government has said that it's committed to still doing this. Well, of um, course they are. It's, the delay may be in the region of six months, but yeah. right now we don't know who's going to be prime minister. There may be a general election called. Yeah. We may not even have the same government. So It know, could be repealed. I mean, it's very unlikely that it would be. I don't think the MPs, no matter where in the uh, you know, the chamber they sit are particularly fussed about repealing this. I don't think there's much support for that. Uh, I feel like it's exactly the sort of nannying nonsense we've come to expect from MPs, even though it adds very little benefit. There are times when it is only sensible to say, actually, this isn't going to achieve any of the things we set out to achieve. It's expensive. It's not going to have any benefit. We're going to be we're going to be missing stuff. Parents are going to ultimately feel like their their children are safe and they won't be. Do you know what's interesting is that yes. almost exactly 10 years ago to the week, you and I were both hosting the CNET UK podcast. Were we? And it was, we were. And during one of those episodes, we were talking about the extreme pornography law that had just ah. been, been passed. I'm not sure if it was the bill or the act. Well, it would have been the... I'm sure it would have been the bill it, I'm back then, because it only passed in. Yeah, it was quite. Re yeah, ten. I'm not sure. This was in 2000 and in, in the spring of 2009. <clears throat> yeah. I, I've I've done I've I've taken the liberty of digging out a little sample. This was when you were hosting it. Oh right. I was your guest, and um, how the tables have turned. Yes, or indeed just different tables. Here we go. Well, let me explain what this is. Yes. Basically, the, the controversy has arisen um, because there is a clause um, in a new UK criminal justice bill uh, that concerns what's been called extreme pornography, which is um, defined as an image which 
um, of such a nature that it must reasonably be assumed to have been produced solely or principally for the purpose of sexual arousal, which is grossly offensive, disgusting, or otherwise of an obscene character and portrays any of the following. A, an act... Um, which threatens a person's life, B, an act which results in or is likely to result in serious injury to a person's anus, breasts, or <laughs> genitals. Funny words, yes, Ian. <laughs> Sorry. C, an act which involves to involves or appears to involve sexual interference with a human corpse, and D, a person performing or appearing to perform an act of intercourse or oral sex with an animal, whether dead or alive. And obviously you have to bear in mind that all those things are have to be done in context of sexual arousal. Yes. So basically dead people and mutilation and stuff like that. But And if you do all if you hit all of those bases, you tick all those boxes, you win a prize. You do win a prize, you get sent to jail. <laughs> the, right, the, I'm going off there. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's enough. You get the point. Yes. You may ask yourself, what was the point of playing that other than a little bit of self-indulgence? The reason is because I think it shows over the last ten years how the culture let's say Mm. of britain has been one to take a pretty firm hardline view on uh on adult material back 10 years ago we were talking about in the context of just the spread of extreme pornography now we're talking about you know how do we uh stop people even seeing it in the first place regardless of the nature of it um so I i wonder what's next ian are we going to ban sex um I mean, I'm sure they'd like to, or some of them would, or for everyone else. I mean, being a, being an MP is largely, seemingly about hypocrisy anyway. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just so worn down by this whole thing. A lot of those rules from that, that bill never made it in. In fact, they were repealed. There was a lot of stuff about um, certain acts that were <clears throat> considered to be obscene. And then they they were they essentially removed that section from the bill. But it's not going to stop anyone. This is the whole problem. It doesn't matter what you do or don't ban. You, you, people are still going to do it, especially if it's legitimately produced. If if you're making stuff that for some reason people like, and I don't know why they like it, but if you know if it if it appears that something's happening and it's not real, then it is just an, a drama act, isn't it? And mm. it is of a sexual nature, obviously in this case. I I don't have a problem with that. I say if everyone consents to it and is safe and well afterwards, um, but uh, obviously we're just tying ourselves up in knots with this, and the the well, law won't protect I, anyone. You might want to be careful about tying <laughs> yourself up, mate. Well, no, that is actually still allowed. Is it? Well, apparently. Well, you'd know. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to find up a slightly more recent anecdote to talk about here, so I did the um, dangerous thing of googling what are the most popular British pornographic search terms and i thought i would just uh, entertain you by telling you what some of them are you might be able to guess some of them i guarantee you would not guess all the ones that i found don't worry there's nothing uh, too horrendous in here just in case you're listening with children i you're um you're okay (laughs) um pangolin sandwich in chat guess guesses lesbians absolutely correct that is the top um is, uh, is is the top one. Uh, we also have MILF and Stepsister. They are very, yes. very popular in Britain, apparently. Not that exciting, really, but here's the weird bunch. It depends on what you like. Well, I suppose. <laughs> but here's the, here's the weird thing. Apparently, that year, that was 2016, Britain had a relatively, like, a disproportionately massive national interest in smut involving, and I, I swear I'm not making this up. These came from Pornhub. Mm-hmm. Um... <clears throat> giantesses okay and robbers as in criminal burglars right so giant women and burglars correct 
Interesting. The thing is, <laughs> I have no... Uh, you know, sometimes we pretend that we don't know something yeah. when we do. Yeah, I mean, right? I have never heard the term giantess before. I mean, I've heard it, just not in the context of not only being a pornographic thing, but being one of the most searched for things in a certain year yeah. by a particular country. That, is, that has hit me square in the chops, and I'm surprised. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I personally, if I can speak from my heart, my aortic pump, um, I'm slightly disappointed at the lack of terms of, um, you know, things like podcasters. I'd have thought that'd well, be you, a- you want podcasters to appear in porn i'm not saying i want it i'm saying i'm surprised, You're surprised that no one's looking for just it just disappointed i know. don't think that there is a po- podcast porn but of course there is because there's a kind of porn for everything well as john in the chat room says rule 34 yeah um mac on pc yeah. that could have been great that could have been great or ian morris's the hard drive <laughs> well how do you know that hasn't doesn't exist I'll, looked. I'll keep dreaming chief Ian, have you ever faced the frustration of having your your big bag of li- bags of liquid pulled from your carry-on going through airport security? No, because I know the rules of airports and I know that I'm not to carry on uh, bags of liquid oh. or containers of liquid. Well, good news, liquid lovers, because the BBC wrote recently that passengers at Heathrow Airport will be able to keep their liquids and laptops inside their carry-on bags once new security equipment is installed. The airport is going to invest £50 million in the computer tomography security scanners to be rolled out over the next few years, which uh, the BBC said, similar to CT scanners used in hospitals, they give you a a clearer picture of a bag's contents, which can also, and I didn't realise this, you can also have 3D images rotated and Mm. sort of dissected by staff, yeah, which must be incredibly handy because at the moment you just see a static two D image, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, I suppose that, yeah, I suppose if you can go right the way through things, uh, I don't know how it works in terms of objects that aren't the human body, but I believe a CT scan is what you use when you're uh, breaking down like body organs to see if they're okay, and you get a, you know, a picture builds up, and yeah, I believe so, that's true. They have yeah, to be so very I mean, still. It, it, it makes sense, but I, I mean, I'm surprised that this is something that can happen quickly in an airport. Um, I, I don't know anything about the technology. I'm not a scientist, uh, but I guess it's better. I'm all for obviously a lot. A big problem with the with airports is the slowness of going through, um, you know, the, the security, and also um, stuff gets missed. Like I've taken accidentally taken a few things through in my time that you shouldn't have, and then got got through and gone. Oh, I'm sure I shouldn't have had that. Uh, and sometimes you get pulled up for perfectly innocuous things that aren't actually a problem at all, but they look really, really weird on the uh, X-ray. They so, do. I've had that when I carried a, a microphone, a Blue Yeti yeah. Pro, and I was pulled over because they thought it looked like a bomb. I took, I think, two two laptops and a tablet and an MP3 player and something else to and a camera and two cameras in fact I think to CES one year in Vegas and they did pull me over and look at my bag I mean they didn't say anything really but I was like 
to be fair, it is quite a lot of stuff to be taking through. Well, they could have told that if they'd have been using this equipment um, right now. The tech is actually already being used in a couple of US airports. Um, anyway, for all you un uh, unfortunate occupants of premium economy or heaven forbid economy, um, this should hopefully mean shorter queues during security checks uh, as people won't be holding up in lines being asked to remove bottles of water and iPads and <laughs> your many, 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 many uh, cameras in um, yes. before going into the naked body scanner. So Ugh. those things, the yeah. backscatter. Very recently, like I can't remember where I flew somewhere a couple of months ago. And when you check in um, at the airport, you know, they have like a little poster at like at the check-in desk with like pictures of bombs and knives and guns and stuff and it just says you know do you have any of these because you are not allowed to mm. and i sort of jokingly said to the woman i said does anyone ever see this and think oh i have got a bomb in my suitcase i better take that out and she laughed because she knew i was joking and she says no but every now and again you get someone who tells you they're trying that they've got fireworks in their bag oh yeah and i just the mind completely boggles but there we go well You've got away with some stuff at airports that technically you probably shouldn't have done. I know, I know. Let that be a lesson to you, boys and girls. <laughs> any opinions, of course, on uh, on this? And if you've had any fun experiences going through security, then uh, do let us know. For the uh, the Patreon version of the, the show, we just spent the last six or seven minutes talking about my most terrifying uh, experience in a German airport That's, with a man with a glove. You said the Patreon version of the show, but did you mean the free version of the show? No, I'm not putting that out. To no, that's what I mean. But you were yes. you were telling the free version about what you just done. Yes, in case they want to listen but, to yeah, it. Yeah, but you said, "Oh right, okay." Do you Sorry. See? Yeah. Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, should we move on? Oh, let's. Okay, here comes some music. You're used to hearing the smooth, velvet sound of Nate's voice drizzled over your ears like a warm eardrum syrup, topped off with the freshly squeezed citrus tang of an Ian Morris opinion. Supporters of the show at patreon.com forward slash UK tech enjoy second helpings every week. So pull up a chair, find your nearest spoon, and tuck into a sumptuous extra helping with no commitment. If you have any allergies, please inform a waiter. According to a write-up on Pocket Lint this week, Dolby and Odeon are to continue the UK rollout of premium Dolby cinemas with two new fully kitted venues coming this autumn. And guess what? Neither of them are in London. No. And one of them's in the north of England. The Odeon Manchester Trafford Centre and Odeon Lux Birmingham Broadway Plaza. My goodness, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It is, yeah. They're going to be the latest to install Dolby cinema experiences, writes The Lint which uh, added that they'll join the first two Dolby cinemas, uh, one in the UK at the London uh, Leicester Square Theatre and one in Leeds. I, I wanted to talk about this a little bit, Ian, because I know that you get very, very excited 
Uh, That's not what's written in the script. No, I know. Well done for moderating your tone. Thank you. Um, Whenever we talk about Dolby cinemas, and I thought it'd be a good opportunity for a couple of minutes just to explain what it is about these Dolby cinemas that make them worth us talking about on a podcast. Yeah, I mean, aside from the massive expense of going to one, because it is a premium experience, these are, I, I think the best way of describing it is a modern take on the cinema. These are generally quite comfortable Uh, they have a variety of good seating including ones with a footrest and reclining Uh, but more importantly than that these are digital projection cinemas that are capable of delivering enormous brightness through um, laser projection two projectors side by side 4k quality i believe uh, obviously capable of high dynamic range um, and 3D if you want it although most people don't anymore but um, with the screen that bright it's a much better experience so, uh, and of course, paired with Dolby Atmos sound, which gives you positional audio, which is much more accurate than traditional surround sound speaker systems uh, and, and, and capable of producing truly incredible results in a cinema. It's a bit of a lottery what you get when you're using a home-based Atmos system, but I, I am a big, big fan of it in cinemas. It sounds incredible. Hmm. And presumably they're actually projecting a 4K I believe it's a 4K image, yes. Image. Yeah. Because I was watching a very interesting video that Engadget had put out this week about 4K upscaling and about how when you buy an Ultra HD Blu-ray or, or something, it's almost never actually Blu-ray, 4K, even if it was mm. shot in 4 or 6 or 8K. Yeah. They edit them using a 1080p digital intermediate and then upscale that back to 4K. So I, I'm just yeah, totally I mean, disenfranchised now. There's the a whole reason. Thing. There is. There are some reasons for that. Yeah, um, cost apparently. Well, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, well, if you've got a special effects heavy movie, it doesn't make a lot of sense to do the effects at 4K when, um, as a rule, I mean, celluloid is capable of having very high resolution images. It's an analog medium, so it doesn't. There's no real limit apart from the, you know, the pitch of you know the the size of the dot of reactive chemical that you can put on the put on the film. Um, but, um, you know, when it comes to both editing and the general handling of it, it was always traditionally done in... It's not 1080p, it's 2K. It, yeah. It's about the same, but it's a, a quarter 2K intermediate. Um, but if you go back, if you go to an Ultra HD Blu-ray, a lot of the time those are remastered, so they will be reworked. Maybe the effects shots might not be, but I think often they do go back to the stock. And, yeah, I mean, upscaling can be very good if it's done properly. If you only have to look at Samsung's new... 8K TVs um, to see that actually those upscaling things because we've got so much more computing power available now. But that's the thing, at least in this the video that I was watching, the, the, the argument was that's all done in real time, of course. Yes. Whereas when it's done on a giant render yeah. farm, it's more efficient to to you know to use AI and, and a variety yeah. of offline algorithms to then re-upscale that image back into 4K, and so it's a very different mm. type of 4K than the one you would get even on. You know, television like you were just talking about. Yeah, and I mean, I think it obviously it depends. It varies hugely from film to film. A lot of films these days are shot um, either digitally at somewhere near 4K, or the most impressive I think is Guardians of the Galaxy Two. I believe was shot at 6K on a red camera, uh, and that thing, if you go and see that projected digitally, looks incredible. It's not a look that suits every movie, because um, I feel like a lot of the joy of films is their very specific look and that comes from a number of things from the the way the lenses work through to how film is traditionally used but film is not usually that sharp but that's something that we're all fine with that, that people 
sort of lust after that film look. And part of that's the frame rate and part of it is just the general softness that images have without losing detail. It's not it's not a lack of detail. It's just a general feeling. Yeah. But anyway, that's an aside. And the, and the reason I, I brought that into this conversation is because for, for a long time, I thought, well, I've got a, a really nice 4K TV at home. It's mm. 65 inches. You know, I'm feeding it a decent quality um, media. And I sort of thought, well, it's it's worth me investing in, the, in these 4K because this, this to me is a better experience than being in a cinema. Yeah. Um, and now I'm thinking, well, actually, is it? Because well, in these sorts of cinemas that now exist, that is a stratospherically different experience to what I yes. traditionally would have in a cinema. And I don't. We've talked about this at length on previous shows. So yeah. I don't want to go too deep. No, but as I as I said, it. it's very very hard to replicate the sound of a good cinema now mm-hmm. at home. It's it, it's the sort of thing that if you have enough money, you could probably do it. But even then, it would not be quite as good. It used to be that you know I think that Dolby Digital brought cinema quality sound to homes and true hd later is uncompressed is is lossless compressed audio and it is incredible um but these days it's if you're trying to go for that um spatial sound that atmos brings i i I do not think it can easily be replicated at home i'm sure some people have got very good setups Mm. but and again there is there is a huge advantage to having this big screen and i I, okay i mean your tv is pretty huge and you you know, don't, don't sit a huge amount of distance away from it. So it's probably a very good experience. Um, but at the same time, there's something about those cinema screens now that produce results that are truly jaw-dropping. And black levels particularly, unless you're on an OLED, I don't think you're going to see black levels quite as good as a cinema. If you have managed to get into a Dolby Cinema, do let us know how it made you feel uh, in your soul, in your heart, in your body, in all the parts of you that make you you. We'd love to hear those. Hello at techpodcast.uk. Um, Ian, you've got a very lovely face. but That's you- very kind. Yeah, do you know who else's face is really lovely? Um, oh, what's his name? For Chris Hemsworth, lovely face. I'd say his face is more wholesome than, yes. than purely lovely. Oh, no, I was talking about Tom Merritt, and oh. he's about to tell us some of the deep dives that they've had on Daily Tech News Show this week. This week, we have quite a bit to say about Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency. There are a lot of things not to be afraid of. It really doesn't seem to be trying to become a government. But there are some things to be concerned about, like Facebook trying to get you to let them see all your purchase data. Also, we have a way to move a robot arm with your mind that doesn't require brain implants. That's handy. And how smart speakers could someday tell you're having a heart attack. All that and much more at DailyTechNewsShow.com. Thank you, Tom. Not and congratulations o- to subscribing to the Patreon feed, Tom. It is much appreciated. <laughs> and not only a lovely face, but a lovely ability to summarise the week's tech news concisely. Much more so than Ian and I. <laughs> in, in fact, speaking of tech news, I'm going to be on This Week in Tech with uh, Leo Laporte on Sunday. So do tune into that if you can. If you can't, I believe it'll be episode 724. Uh, Are tw- they only up to 724 on This Week in Tech? Yeah, I mean, 724 weeks. That's, that's yeah. quite a lot, bearing in mind there's 52 How weeks in a year. How many years is that? Well, I mean, it's well over a decade. Yeah. Um, so go to twit.tv after Sunday um, if you want to see that. And um, and thank you, everyone, to, for supporting us on Patreon, of course. Um, this week we put out an extra message um, that goes out to many, many of our uh, patrons. We talked uh, quite a lot about a way that st- uh, some technology failed me on stage <laughs> this week. And I, I talked a little bit about some of my... Um, 
past experiences hosting tech conferences. So that's out on Patreon, our extra message. Tech, uh, what is it? Patreon.com forward slash, slash UK tech. Forward slash UK tech. Yes. Um, thank you again, patrons. And on that note, we'll see you next week. 